the person who gets the most done has the least excuses. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Millionaire Woman Show. Today, I am talking to Rich Bontrager, also known as Trigger. He should have been dead at least three times, yet he's defied the odds medically since birth, through a severe fire accident, liver failure, and a transplant in 2017. He has learned a great deal about how to defy the odds. In spite of being born a horrible stutterer, he has enjoyed careers in professional sports broadcasting, leadership coach, and now motivational speaker. Life is a great adventure to trigger, and as he's most commonly known, he also hosts a YouTube channel helping leaders and communicators achieve their dreams and goals. So go ahead and follow at Rich Bontrager on Twitter. And also you can check out his website at richbontrager.net. He also is on a mission as a leadership coach to equip you with defying the odds in life, leadership, and in public speaking. And he wants to really equip leaders, the next generation and public speakers to wow the crowd by leading and communicating more effectively. So please welcome Rich to the Millionaire Woman Show. Thank you, Deborah. Great to be on your show. Thank you. Great well, job on the intro, by the way. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I, I'm super excited to have you here because, you know, as we were talking before we started the interview, it's kind of like flipping roles. Here you are, a sports broadcaster, and here's Deborah Kozowski podcasting with you. And uh, the, the chairs are turned. So I want to just jump into what does it feel like to be on the other side? It's strange. It's <laughs> really strange. It, it, it's really taken me a while to get used to it because I've been doing it for 25 years, interviewing athletes, coaches, leaders. Uh, and now people are calling me and flipping the microphone around me. And I'm not leading the conversation. I have to follow what they throw at me. Um, and it's hard sometimes not to turn into the interviewer again. So hopefully today, I'll behave myself, I promise, and you can control the conversation. <laughs> well, I'm okay if you ask me some questions. You might put me on the spot, but you know what? It's exciting for our listeners and our viewers, so yeah. I, I'm good to roll with anything you throw at me. <laughs> yeah. So I know that, you know, as leaders, we want to be able to engage the people we work with. We want to be able to, whether it be in business, whether it be in leadership, even in our own families, in our communities. And one thing that I do know is communication is so important in engaging people because it is part of influence. Yes. So tell me what you think are some of the secrets to communicating effectively to create the influence that you want. Well, that's a great question. First of all, leadership and communication are forever linked together. Most leaders don't realize how badly they communicate. There are a lot of communicators that don't realize they're leaders by default. So I spent a lot of time talking about that whole thing of influence. Leaders need to do better with communication 
And those that do communicate have to realize they have high influence in the crowd and they better take it up a notch. They have to realize they have to own it. Now, some of the ways to do that are they got to be more intentional. So what are they passionate about? What are they really interested in? What are they best gifted and wired to give back to people? Once they start figuring that out, then they can start honing out what they need to say, but they have to be intentional about what they have to say because when you have a captivated audience, they'll be taking notes, waiting for you to give them that good, good nugget, and the worst thing is a speaker, and you probably have that, had this happen, you get done, you walk off stage and go, I missed that really key thing I should have said blank. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of speakers just fly by the seat of their pants and they miss those important things and you can never get them back again. So how important is preparation when it comes to whether you're leading in a board meeting or, you know, walking up to deliver a keynote? Preparation is key. Uh, you, you cannot walk up there anymore and just go blindly. There's very few people that can do it. I know a couple of them. They do it great. But usually you have to prepare. Where are you going? So what's your takeoff point? I talk about takeoff and landing. So if you're going to give a speech, how are you taking off the, the plane? Where are you going to? What's your destination? And then how are you going to land it? So they know they have take home, application, which application is really weak. On most speakers, application is horrible. They give you a list of things, but not how to do them or why to do them or where to do them. So to me, it's the takeoff and the landing and you kind of sandwich the good stuff in between. And if you don't prepare that information, it's literally a train being or a plane being built up in the air, being assembled mid-flight. And that's, that's a total disaster that's going to happen. So one of the things I was preparing a talk today, so I thought maybe this is a great way that we can, you know, share this with the listeners and really highlight your, your way of doing things. And then I can throw in a few things of what I do. Certainly. But when I was preparing, I always think about the, you know, the takeoff and the landing and that they need to capture people's attention because how you show up on stage is what they remember that, that how you physically present. Right. And then I think about, what are the key points that I want to share? You know, cause I'm not, a, I'm not a big PowerPoint person. I no. find it very distracting. I'll usually have a picture with a word on it and that's about it. And people are like, can I have your slides after? I'm like, sure, you can have them. Well, create the same thing yourself. Commanding the stage is huge. I coach people when they step on stage, you have to own it from the minute they say introduction, you're on, you have to go out there and own that stage. So you're right. Before you say a word, they're already sizing you up. They can feel your energy. They can feel the excitement. They can feel you stumbling through your notes and having no idea where you're going. That's why the intro is so important. You have to have your intro pre-planned. So when you step on stage, it comes out of you right away like a gun going off, and the crowd is like totally with you. So that early engagement of captivating the audience, um, I actually talk about creating um, experience with the crowd. Yeah. How can we become friends, family, uh, create an experience, not just another blah, blah, blah speech? Yes. Um, that begins when the minute you walk on stage. Okay, so I'm going to go here with you. Right. So I know that, that it is all about the experience. But what are your thoughts when people say, you know, the audience, they're rooting for you. They want you to succeed. Don't worry about not being perfect. And, and it's not about perfection, but being able to deliver. What are your thoughts on that? Actually, I totally agree with the sentiment. 
The fact is you have to accept the fact they're already with you. Mm -hmm. Most audiences want you to give them something. They're ready for you. They're hungry for you. And so they're going out there timid and thinking, oh, they might like me. They might not. not they, this joke might be a bomb. You have to go in more with, they already want me to succeed. Now I just have to step up, give them everything full throttle. Like when you give a joke, I tell people, if you have a joke, laugh with them. Set the tone of laughter. Don't give the joke. Wait for the pause and hope it goes over. You lead them into the humor themselves because they're already with you. Um, so there's a lot of leading going on, not just words going on. Um, also, going back to your PowerPoints for a second, PowerPoints, uh, you can kill people by IBM PowerPoints. The worst thing you could do is you click after click after click and never read your slide. Do exactly what you're doing. I think it's perfect. Have a slide with a picture, a little keyword, and talk through a story. Give an illustration. That's a reinforcer. That is not your script. And many speakers, again, train wreck because they're just going through the slides one by one. And it's not an experience. It's a board meeting. Yeah. And I think there's one thing, like, we can educate, but we can inspire and motivate by our own life stories. And I think people think, sit back and they're like, well, I don't have a tragedy. I don't live maybe a very exciting life. So why will people listen to me? And the fact that you're on the program, people listen, right? Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And they want to hear what you have to say. Even if it's, you know, I have a bathing suit story that relates to emotional intelligence. You know, I have another story about a car accident that relates to time management. So you, you, everybody has a story and stories are what really, like you said, reinforce the lesson. But that's the thing that they're going to remember about you is that story and how it relates. It's all about how is it relevant to me, the person in the audience. Right, because the stories are sight, sound, smells, images, laughter, tears. You get choked up. There's so much emotion that comes through. And that's where you have to practice your stories. Not to the point where they're boring to you. You have to be a great storyteller. I actually coach people on it. I've got some videos on it. Storytelling is the main thing you have to achieve because data is data. Now, what do you do with the data? How do you wrap it into someone's life being changed? A business story that transforms an entire organization. How can you take that data and turn it into a story, a swimsuit story, a stutter story like me, yeah. uh, all sorts of things. You have to pick your stories and it will pull them into you. And the audience says, we know you, we love you, you've overcome. And I can do it too. So right. story, magic. And again, most speakers honestly stink at stories. Yeah. So what are some of the elements that you like to have in your stories? I know you talked about the senses and I'm really going to dive in here because you have a talk about defying the odds. So let's talk a little bit more about your story and how you emphasize the way your storytelling comes across to your audience. Yeah, well, you said you're in the introduction. I should be dead three times. Uh, I should be dead at birth. So when I talk about defying the odds, I cover uh, my birth disease. The, the doctor literally told my parents he will die in a week. And after a week, they literally told my parents, take him home. He will die at home because we need the bed space. So it's fact. It's tragedy. It's heart tug at a young child. The audience is right away caught up in this horrible, horrible thing. And then I go, and look, I'm still here. 
And then they go, wow, there's a breath of fresh air a little bit. I've even done it where I don't give my name. I just tell a story about this baby and the life circumstance. And then midway through, I go, and by the way, he's standing here today with you. And you feel the audience just go, wow. <laughs> it's how you take the element and wrap up the story. I was burned to age 10. I should have died. Uh, I was in an ambulance being taken. My mom told my hand and I asked for the prey. And I stopped screaming and yelling and I asked him to turn off the siren. And most people are like, that doesn't happen. And even the doctor said, no, that doesn't happen very often. So you take tragedy and bring peace. Mm -hmm. You play the two sides of the coin and you get people's emotions all over the place with you. And then the liver disease is the newest one. Um, I literally uh, should have been dead, got a liver two years ago. And now I just moved to Denver, Colorado to intentionally do my speaking career. And now I'm climbing mountains at 9,500 feet, high elevation. Literally and, climbing mountains. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it is great. And the doctors are laughing saying, you're a freak. So I use that terminology on stage because it's relatable. People get that. Instead of using big words sometimes, just talk like an average Joe and grab your audience into your story. And, and, and story really works like that. And I think the powerful thing that you, you do as you shared this, is that you're not talking at them, no. you're taking them along a journey and you're experiencing those emotions with them and sharing and creating a picture. Kind of like, it reminds me of my high school teacher. We, in English, we'd read a book, she'd be reading to us and she'd, even though she's just reading words on a page, for whatever reason, I always pictured myself on a movie set watching everything happen. Yes. Those are the best storytellers. They are, because they bring the sights of sound alive. And my mind works as a video camera. I see everything as a movie. So as a broadcaster, I was on radio. So I had to learn how to paint the picture of a baseball game. The popcorn, the wind, the player's uniform, what direction they're kind of swaying out in the field. All these things that to paint the picture to bring the radio listener into the game. Okay, give us a little snippet as we're, we're, at, we're at a game. Okay, uh, it's count as two and one, the batter's stepping on up, he's digging in, and uh, right now there's a slight shift on the right field side. They're trying to play the line because he's known for going down the line, and right now the fans are really starting to get into it. They know they need this run. You got a man at second base. You're gonna try to advance the runner, maybe get in the scoring position, and, oh, wait, he stepped out of the batter's box for a second. They're going to reset. So they're playing a cat and mouse game. Will he pitch it or not pitch it? Now the batter's going to step back in, and here we go. See, and I can feel it, right? The guy's, you know, putting his foot in the ground, planting and making his mark, getting ready. Yep. And, and, and the thing about it is when you do story, everyone has their own version of the story. Mm -hmm. But you have to have key words, key elements. Um, the voice inflection is huge. A lot of people do talks and it's really monotone. Yes. Um, I, I'm a voice coach and the idea is there's more we can do with this. Excitement, energy, dramatic pauses. It's great in the middle of a talk. So just do a pause. I've heard we only use like three octaves and yes. not even very close to what we can expand upon. And so like when you get excited in normal life, you scream, you yell, you laugh, you cry, your emotions go all the place through your vocal cords. When we talk, we get nervous. Mm -hmm. um, I also tell people, get away from the podium. Locking your hands on the podium tells everybody, I am nervous. This is my life preserver. You don't relax. The only way that I know to relax is to walk away 
and just start walking on stage and walking and talking with my hands, being free like you normally would in the backyard barbecue. And it and creates a barrier. The podium creates a barrier. It's like there's something between me and you. I can't get close to you. I can't connect with you. Often I'll pull it off the side or I'll tell who's ever setting it up, put it on my right hand side. I'll use it as a little benchmark, my kind of special notes, or I'll have a prop. Often you go back to storytelling. You were saying, what else do I do? I'll use props. People can relate to something and you, you don't show them at first what you have. Yes. You kind of hide it. And you got to hide it in the podium. You pull it out. Ta-da! And it is the surprise in the room. And people love surprises. Again, as speakers, we're taking them on that adventure, as you said. Mm -hmm. Take them, Deborah, to a place they've never been, they've never seen. They know nothing about the people, but how can they get there with you and experience that moment? So now you have a teachable moment. Now you have application come out of it. Now you have that story means something that will forever stay in their mind. And with that, I can see the vulnerability, the courage of you sharing different things. And I know leadership involves risk and it can be scary for many people. So what is it to take a good risk as a leader? Wow, I have a video on that. Did you scope me out today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, there are good risks. Um, leaders have to risk. We have to lead and show people there's a healthy way to do it. Um, sometimes money is what drives everyone to make a business decision in leadership. Sometimes money does not add up, but if you want to move your corporation from this line to that line, part of the risk is you need to disassemble what you're doing and put it back together in a new way. Don't be afraid to tear things apart as leaders and put the puzzle pieces back together. A good leader is a good coach. He can look at the landscape and he can start moving things in advance to get to the next destination. Um, a good risk often involves getting new people on your team. Uh, leaders, one of the worst things we do is we say no too often, too fast. We are afraid of hearing from dreamer. We're, we're afraid of hearing that newcomer that just came on board. You hired them for new ideas, and then you tell them, no, it's not time yet. Instead, the good How risk- How true is oh, that? I've heard from many leaders that you know what, we don't dream here. You don't use the word dream. You can use goals, but you can't use dream. Right. And I'm like, then why do we make vision statements? <laughs> you know, they involve dreaming. That, that's exactly it. Um, and again, some of the best leaders are what we would say are crazy nut job dreamers, but look at what they've dreamed up. We've gone to the moon. Walt Disney Pit built on swamp land. I mean, you can go to a lot of different leaders and speakers and they have done things that no one ever thought but they got the right team around them. They cast an amazing vision. They had a goal in mind. And then the best thing was they assembled a team because leaders like me, we're 30,000 feet in the air dreaming all the time. I'm a visionary leader by nature. So I stay up in the clouds. One of the things you have to risk is to delegate. You have to get the right team, hand the ball off so you can stay where you're good and gifted at and let them go down and deal with the details. Don't give me a checkbook. Don't, don't give me a ledger and try to figure it out. Put me someplace where I have a whiteboard and I can lead you to that magical place and then assign the roles and say, now it's your responsibility. But leaders have to risk giving up that power and that authority to get the job done. And they create the buy-in, right? So that people believe that they have what it takes to fulfill the vision that you show. And you also have to go back into communication now. Because if you're going to be that type of Walt Disney visionary leader, you have to know the picture you're painting. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's got to be passionate. It's got to be descriptive. It's got to be beyond their wildest dreams. Uh, some of the best leaders are, this is so big, we have to do it. Now help me do it. And people yeah. want to come behind a crazy, audacious, wild dream. But you have to cast the vision and then get out of their way and let them go do it with you. Yeah. So when, when I really think about what happens with those leaders, we have this visionary leader who may be emerging as a yep. visionary leader and often will struggle with self-image, whether it be maybe a stuttering, maybe the self-image might be, am I good enough to do this? That self-doubt starts creeping in and let alone, you know, having someone who's been in there for a while saying, oh, what's this guy got? So how do you help people? Like you've overcome stuttering, but how does your own self-image and confidence play a role in a person's leadership and the results that they're getting? That's huge. That's really big, Deborah, because growing up, the stutter did define me. Now Mm -hmm. I talk about define the odds, but growing up, it did. I couldn't even ask girls out. It it, it was horrible. It really did put me into a limited box. Um, I, I had a great brain. I could think. I was highly intelligent. But because of the stutter, it came across as you're a dummy. So I received that, heard that, felt that. Um, it took a couple of good people to come alongside the coach that invested me and say, we see it. We see in you blank. Yeah. Coach that and that's often the case, right? People see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And that seed is planted. And then they have to water it and help you and nurture it. And one of the first one was my first time ever speaking publicly was at church. My pastor actually put me up and said, you're going to preach. And I said, you realize what you're saying? He really helped that a lot. And then it was another girlfriend that actually at one time taught me to laugh at myself. I think humor is really important in this. Your self image is we get flush, we get sweaty palms. We know we're going to blow it. And she taught me, if you're going to ask me out, you have to ask me out. I'm not going to say yes without you really saying it. But she just told me to relax, have fun. So I would joke, I would laugh, I would tease. And the humor part now, so if I blow it on stage, if I stutter, I'll call it out. The audience now is nervous that, oh, the whole thing's going to train wreck. He's blown it. And everyone gets nervous. Instead, you flip the table now and you have fun with it and you laugh and go, whatever you do. Yeah. And the audience is now okay because you're okay. Yeah. And that's where that self-confidence, that self-image is. Uh, you have to get okay with this is who I am. I know I have a stutter. It's never going to go away. Yeah. So I have to find ways to embrace it. And the more I just embrace it and let it roll, I rarely ever stutter on the public platform anymore. You know, and I think the biggest thing with that is they're sitting in their chairs saying, well, it's better him than me for one. And the other one is when they see you recover from it, then they say, you know what? Maybe I can do that because I can recover just like he did. And that's where the define the odd message really takes off. When you begin to, again, that vulnerability you talked about earlier, we have to go first as leaders. We have to show them vulnerability. We have to show them reality and then show them the other side of, if I can do this, you can do this in business. You can do this in family matters. You can do this with your children. Whatever it is we're speaking and coaching on, they have to see someone who's blown it, failed it, put it back together, and then they do begin to take the application and say, okay, if he did it with laughter, if he did it with good friends, 
if he did it with watching himself on YouTube videos and practices mannerisms, maybe I should try some of these things too. And then people start trying them. See, it's all about testing, finding out what works for you. And I know one of your talks is about finding gold. Who doesn't want to discover finding gold? Not just sh shifting it in a pan or gold panning, but what does finding gold really mean? That is, uh, I stumbled upon that years ago, and I can't even remember where I first, I can't give credit to where I first came out of anymore, but finding gold is because of confidence, because of issues. Um, I've worked with a lot of recovery ex-cons people. So in that particular demographic, their life has been blown up. Divorce, addiction, jail time, maybe education lapses or trying to go back to school and they lose sight of the goodness of who they once were. Mm. They forget that there is good within me and yeah. all this is I've blown it. I'm going to blow it again. I'm going to relapse. My folks don't want to talk to me, uh, my ex, whatever. And so I try to mine for the gold and remind them of the goodness within them. Whether it's early dreams that they put aside, you can go get your GED. You can go get a good career. You don't have to work at blank job forever. You are coming out of recovery. You might relapse, but that doesn't define you anymore. You know how to call, how to get help, how to get to a meeting. So you begin to find that gold. And what is amazing, Deborah, is I've heard people literally say to me, I forgot there was any gold. And by yeah. just saying it out loud, they glow for the first time in who knows how long. And they begin to realize, there's something worth still pursuing within them. And it is magical to be a part of that. That sounds phenomenal. I, I would love to be in that audience, watching people's faces transform. And I think with the finding gold part, I think people forget that there is good within them. They start to, when you know life throws a cur curveball, whether you did it by choice, yep. or it's a consequence of something that has occurred, or you know the universe decided that, something needed to be in your direction for a learning experience that you realize you're not defining yourself by the event yeah. and you can defy the odds of the outcomes that you have moving forward. And I find that so powerful. And, and once people get, begin to see it, they get hungry for it. Once they hear it a couple of times and it's like, okay, it's there. I know it's there. And it's painful to go through the transition of the ugly duckling to the swan. Yeah. Basically what we're coaching them to do, and they may stumble, they may fall, but they need a couple people to say, you got it, pick yourself back up, keep going, because that gold is so cool. It's so amazing. And it, it is, it's a total transformation, and there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of laughter, there's a lot of high fives, everyone gets energized. Everyone starts talking and looking around the room, and it's cool when you have parents, with one of their sons or daughters that has had a tragedy and they look at them like, we told you, we told you. And all of a sudden, just because I said it, they get it now. And all of a sudden the whole family is cheering each other on. When the student is ready, the teacher appears, <laughs> but I'm sensing, and I don't know if you've thought about this, but although I, I see a book for adults, I also see a children's book about finding gold and looking for the good. You know what? One of my talks is on bowling. And I, I do a lot of the anti-bully because I was bullied as a child severely. And you're right. And I've never thought about that. So thank you for the new book idea. Yes. Uh, Make sure I get the first copy, Kay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, because within children, it's easy. And again, as leaders, as adults, the first thing children hear is no. 
so often it's no, you can't, you won't, you'll never. I was told with my stutter, I would never be a broadcaster. My college professor told me this. He now laughs 25 years later. He goes, I was wrong. You're a darn good broadcaster. And so by hearing no, children believe there's no goal. But you're right. If, if we can get to them sooner, maybe there's a better chance for them down the line as well. Yeah, I think it would be very powerful as a children's book. Not that you wouldn't have one as an adult, but I, I think <laughs> the traction um, and the power behind that would be phenomenal. You so, with me. <laughs> you need another book out here, right? You need another I book. I do, I do. I'm ready for another one. <laughs> so one of the things, and I know we're wrapping up here, but when, if you were to give us three tips that have helped you transform as a leader, what would those tips be? Uh, embrace who you are as a leader. Uh, I am a visionary leader. I am the guy that thinks out of the box. Um, for years, I kind of hid that. Uh, I wake up at two o'clock in the morning. And I now have a nightpad by my bedstand. I write things down. They come to me in visions and dreams. And if I don't get it then, I won't get it back. So embrace what you are as a leader. Um, never apologize. I don't apologize anymore that I'm that awkward duck that always sees things differently. Yeah. Um, also, be, be, be a constant learner. Um, I have learned more by accident, by trying and failing, but always be a constant learner. Get on the blog posts, get on the YouTube channels, get at the conventions. Um, always, always learn because no matter how long we've been doing this, and I'm sure you can probably say the same thing, there's always something more that you can learn in the middle of this to enhance what you're doing. And leaders give up way too early. Um, and maybe the third and final point would be mentor somebody. Mm. I believe in mentorship so much. And part of the thing is we've educated people to death, but we haven't given them hands-on, one-on-one, personal. It goes back to that goal. It goes back to that coaching. It goes back to all things. I can coach you in a crowd. But I cannot coach you up to really speak and really do well without mentoring you for a while. Leaders, we need to do a better job of mentoring people so the next generation doesn't say it's someday, which I hate that. Someday you'll be up there. Someday. Instead of we say we're mentoring you, so today you're a leader, and it changes the whole conversation. And I think we need to shift what leadership looks like for people because I think they see people as natural leaders, and I believe that leaders, true leaders, can be developed, nurtured, and be able to shift the landscape of any trajectory that they have in front of them. Totally agree. It all starts with that belief in oneself, right? Yeah. Well, Rich, we've come to the end of the program. I want to thank you so much for joining us, or I should say Trigger. <laughs> and I would love for everyone to follow Rich at richbontrager.net. I'm going to have that it, down below in the YouTube description. But for those of you listening, it's R-I-C-H b-o-n-t-r-a-g-e-r.net rich you want to just tell everybody what they'll find when they get there well you've got youtube videos you've got contact information there you've got free material to download to help you out um also if i could i'd like to offer a free 15-minute consultation if everyone's looking for coaching public speaking uh contact me we'll set up a free consultation 15 minutes and i can help you defy the odds in life leadership or public speaking Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for coming on our show, Rich. Thanks, Deborah. 
it's been a pleasure having you here. And thank you for just jumping into that sports broadcasting improv for me. That was very special and made it very unique for our show. That's the first time anyone's ever done that. So you got the first shot at that. No problem. Thanks for having awesome, me. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you everyone for joining us. Please send us a note. Um, you can send me a note at Deborah at DebraKazowski.com. I will pass it on to Rich and we'll share it on our social media channels. Please go over to iTunes and subscribe and give us a five-star high five. Write us a review. We would love to hear from you. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And my wish for you is to go out and live your life rich from the inside out. Have a great day, everyone.